Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 20th, we are studying 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. St. Paul begins his concluding teaching in this second epistle to the Christians in Thessalonica. He asks them to pray for his ongoing ministry, and he warns them against idleness in their Christian lives. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, thanks for having me back. Pastor Kilgo, as we get started this morning, give us some context. Where have we been in Second Thessalonians leading up to today? Yeah, so we remember that uh, St. Paul is, is writing here, um, particularly addressing in, in the kind of middle of the letter, even though it's a shorter letter. Um, he's addressing this idea of the Thessalonians that they've apparently gotten from his first letter that uh, the, the day of the Lord's return is like right now. So uh, apparently this is causing some issues in addition to it just being wrong. So St. Paul is addressing this on, uh, on a few different levels where we get the bringing up the, of the man of lawlessness and, and this sort of stuff. And it's kind of re- reminiscent to what we have from Jesus, where Jesus points the the disciples to, you know, you see all these things happening, but the end's not yet. Okay? You don't know when it's going to happen, uh, so stop trying to figure it out and live, well, a holy Christian life as you're supposed to, which is kind of the part that we're going to be getting into uh, today, um, th- this exhortation of um, because you don't know when the when the return of the Son of Man is, you need to simply go about your business of being a Christian and what that looks like then. So Paul is going to get into that to, in today's text then. It, we get a little bit of overlap, I think. The first couple of verses really connect nicely to the yeah. end of chapter 2, and then we move forward into more of that instruction as to, okay, what, what does it mean then to live waiting for the day of the Lord? What does that look like in terms of your everyday Christian life. So let's take a look at the text we've got before us today. This is Second Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, 
we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. That's the text for today, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So Pastor Gogo, Paul starts with the word in English, at least, finally, brothers. With This sounds a lot like the way that he brought his last letter to a conclusion as well. Yeah, uh, in, uh, in a couple of uh, ways, but, but he does this actually quite frequently. He'll use this, this word uh, to, to indicate that he's kind of wrapping things up. Sometimes it's a bit earlier, so like in the uh, first Thessalonians, it's in uh, chapter 4, um, uh, but you've got it even earlier in some cases, like in Philippians, is interesting, he does it twice. It, it's it's kind of like it, it when I was looking at this it kind of made me think of how sometimes you're listening to a sermon and you got a lot of times these cues that you're listening to uh, with most preachers that you kind of know that they're they're wrapping things up and sometimes you'll get uh, someone preaching and they'll it'll sound like they're wrapping things up and you kind of start getting ready for the end of the sermon and then they have like a second wrap up. So that's kind of Philippians does that because he does it in three and four, um, but with all of these, he's he's giving these final instructions on uh, on how to live uh, in view of what he's been talking about in in the epistle, um, and it's it's all it's all different sort of things. Um, uh, here, it's particularly um, uh, Saint Paul. Not not just requesting prayer, but but commanding prayer uh, of the Thessalonians. Um, so in, he'll he'll ask for in other epistles, he'll ask for the uh, the congregation there to to pray for him and for his fellow workers. Uh, here he actually just gives the imperative: pray for us. Um, but but not only for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Right, so so there's kind of a number of things that that he's uh, telling them to pray for, and I think that we need to hold that pray for us um, for a little bit as we as we read down in the text, uh, because I think that it's it's acting as a little bit of a helpful interpretation as it's going along of the different things that the Thessalonians are to be praying for. Uh, in all of this, and I think that it it actually goes all the way down uh, to the very end. That it, it's still kind of echoing in the background of of what we're to be praying for. Yeah, that, I, I think that's a, a good a good reminder just to keep that in mind. This this command to pray, overarching all of it. So the and it's very clear the first couple of verses at least he's talking about this prayer, and and he he gives them something to pray for in a positive sense. Let this happen, and then something to pray for in a negative sense, protect us from, from this evil. What, is, what does Paul tell the Thessalonians to pray for here, Pastor Kilgo? Yeah, yeah, so the first thing is uh, what we mentioned. Pray for us, for, first and foremost, um, the, the pastors of the church, right? Uh, the apostles uh, here in particular. Uh, but this is just a good reminder uh, for all Christians to pray for their pastors. Um, because remember that 
the devil, as he goes and he attacks the church, that he's going to try and attack, uh, especially where he can cause the most amount of damage. And we see this all the time when, when, the, when the devil succeeds in uh, tearing down a pastor of a church, how much damage that does to the church itself, uh, because churches, rightly so, love their pastors. Uh, and so when, when a pastor falls into gross sin or, or various other thing, things happen, and they leave the ministry, um, this, this usually has a, a great amount of fallout within the congregation itself. So uh, this is a good reminder to, um, to pray for your pastor. But here he connects that with, with the next thing, which is um, that the gospel would be preached, right? Um, that it would, he, he says that it would speed ahead, which, which is a, uh, this is reminiscent of the way St. Paul will talk about the Christian life itself as being a race. It's that sort of language. It's the sort of athletic language, uh, but here of the gospel itself. So, so he's telling them to, uh, to, to pray that the gospel would still have legs, so to speak. Um, and we can hear an echoing with this in, in the Great Commission, that, that the Lord commissions his church to uh, go out into all the nations, that, that there's this, this movement of the, of the gospel, of the preaching of Christ and him crucified, um, but that it not only be sped, but also be honored. And I think what we should hear with this is this, this speeding forward is the preaching the gospel, and this being honored is not just kind of liking the gospel, which we should, but this, this is the Christian life. Uh, so, so the true way in which we honor God's word um, is by living a holy Christian life. And we can, we remember, uh, this is what Luther teaches us in the small catechism on uh, the Lord's Prayer um, and God's name being kept holy. That God's name is kept holy first when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. So that would be the word of the Lord speeding forward. And also when we lead holy lives according to it. Uh, and that's the being honored. Uh, and Luther in the large catechism draws us out even more in, in this helpful way that because our names as Christians have been attached to God and his word, when people look at the manner in which we live, uh, we are bringing honor or dishonor to God and his word uh, based on how we live. And so if we live uh, as the rest of the world lives, then we are bringing dishonor. And it's the same sort of way that uh, parents tell their children, um, you know, what you do reflects on me as your parents. And, and that's what the Lord is also teaching us in the Lord's Prayer. And I, I think very much what's going on here for St. Paul in what he's exhorting them to pray for. And, and that makes sense, given what he's done in this letter and, and the first letter he wrote to the Thessalonians, the way that he's talked both doctrine and life, that he would command them to pray for that makes perfect sense. So he also then connects this prayer to being delivered from wicked and evil men. And, and he's going to, in verse 3, also bring up the, the evil one being guarded against. What's the connection with prayer and, well, deliverance from evil? Maybe that maybe that answers the question there already a bit, Pastor Kilgo. <laughs> yeah, um, well, and we, we know this, right? Uh, I think it generally, we, we know this, that, that we pray um, in, in the last petition, and you can, I mean, you can hear it there in, in the text. Uh, we, we pray, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Either way, both. 
Um, but one of the, the really marvelous things in the large catechism, and I'm just going to steal entirely from Luther here, but I think you'll be all right with that, uh, is he brings up this, this point in the Lord's Prayer that not only are we praying to God for things and for his work to be done, but we are at the same time praying against the devil and his work, and each petition is actually doing this. And so I, I think we should hear this with uh, praying against, um, uh, or praying in this case, praying to be guarded against the evil one. Um, we, you know, just a quick rundown of the petitions to kind of hear this. Uh, so, um, our Father who art in heaven, we remember that the, the devil is the father of lies and is, according to Jesus, our father in sin, right? So we're, we're praying against that, uh, that aspect of the devil. Um, that while God has a holy name, the devil has an evil name, uh, that he's the, the accuser of the brethren and all these sorts of things, uh, that the devil's kingdom is of this world and is, he's trying to bring the Lord's kingdom to nothing, um, that the devil's will is to bring everything of God to ruin, but especially his Christians, um, that the devil isn't satisfied with us even having a morsel of bread to eat in peace, and so he brings us constant trouble, um, uh, that the devil would have us despair of our own sin, not believe that we are forgiven by Christ, and at the same time to believe that our neighbor is not worthy of our own forgiveness. Um, and finally, that the devil tempts us away from faith and instead to unbelief. He tempts us away from hope to false hope, and he tempts us um, from love into uh, stubbornness. Uh, and this is directly for, from Luther. He, he pulls these out, that these are the opposites of faith, hope, and love that St. That Paul gives us to, uh, to strive towards, and the devil tempts us from those. And so here you can hear an echoing of that, um, uh, that we would be kept from these things. Uh, and we, we skipped over this, and we really should kind of mention this at least briefly, um, that, that we would be uh, delivered from wicked and evil men, um, for not all have faith. Um, that there's a connection here, again, to, um, to God's Word and faith um, and the Holy Christian life. And we should remember then that the one who is a wicked and evil person, that, that wickedness in their lives flows solely from unbelief. And this is, we remember, every one of our sins ultimately flows from our own unbelief that we struggle against in this life, uh, that the Lord graciously preserves us from uh, in order to bring us to eternal life with him and will completely uh, take away on the final day when he returns. But the, these wicked and evil men, um, the reason why they're wicked and evil is what St. Paul says, not all have faith. And when you don't have faith, when you don't trust Christ and his promises, then, uh, then evil works follow from that. So the the wicked and evil men. I appreciate you going back to that. I was I was just looking as you were talking. I was like, oh, we skipped that. So the wicked and evil men that you're talking about, or that Paul's talking about here, they, these are not 
they're not the sins that usually make the news so much that we're talking about. I mean, when we think of wicked and evil men, I think we, we tend to think of those those horrifying news stories that we see where, where there are gross sins against our neighbor. And those are those are very bad. Those are those are sins. But the wicked and evil men that Paul's talking about here, this is this is where it all starts. This is the unbelief from which flows all of those other sins. And that's that's really where the deliverance needs to happen first and foremost. And to take that back to the Lord's Prayer, right? we pray the, the first three petitions before we get to the fourth. Before we pray for daily bread and the needs of this life, we pray for, for God's name to be holy, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. And, and Paul, Paul would center our, our prayers there as well, it would seem. Is that, does, that, does that help tie these two things together, the wicked and evil men, the evil one? Go ahead, Pastor Kogo. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I, I think, like I said at the beginning, we should have prayer. And I think if we have specifically the Lord's Prayer and, and, the, and the petitions there laid out kind of in the back of our mind as we're, as we're looking at a lot of this stuff, it, it'll help to tie all these things together because um, we remember – just like the commandments are not a bunch of just disjointed sayings of God, but they're all bound together and placed into a very specific order, uh, so also are the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And, in fact, the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, if you want to track this out, actually follow the, the ordering of the commandments in a pretty profound sort of way. But w- when we pray, we first pray um, for the things that are already there, if, if you want to think of it that way. So... God's name and his word, um, his, his kingdom, his will, these things already exist. Um, they are what they are. And what we're praying in those is that we would be found among those things, right? And so that we wouldn't be these wicked and evil men. We wouldn't be in unbelief, but we would be uh, found where the, the Lord's word is speeding ahead and is being honored. Um, that is, we are found to be Christians, Right. So, so that's what we're what we pray for first. And then everything else simply flows from that. Right. Um, uh, Luther bring this out and we'll, we'll get this language of bread. But when we pray for daily bread, um, that no one would be so bold as to ask for daily bread, which is everything we need to support this body and life. Right. Every physical blessing that the Lord gives to us. In this life, we are asking for with those words. And who would be so bold to approach the creator of the universe in such a, a bold way unless he had told us to pray that way? And, and the only way that you do that is that you believe in God's promises, right? You don't approach God so boldly asking for these things uh, unless you actually have faith, right? Um, which is Christ's point constantly when he's talking about prayer right in the in the gospels yeah the the matter of faith when it comes to prayer is is right there in the lord's prayer too it's it's at the beginning and the end our father who art in heaven i mean think of luther's explanation god invites us to believe that that he is our right. father and then at the end the right. word amen yes yes it is so i mean faith is there from from beginning to end this is what 
this is where our prayer comes from is the matter that like you said we believe in God that he is faithful and this is this is Paul too here in second Thessalonians chapter 3 the Lord is faithful I mean I know we want to keep this idea of prayer in our, our minds throughout this text but but you're getting his amen of sorts here in, in these first verses that the Lord is faithful he's going to do this Paul says we've got confidence that this is going to happen and, and he, right. he kind of at least the way that it's bracketed in the in the ESV verse 5 ends a paragraph of sorts that the Lord's going to direct their hearts to the love of God, to the steadfastness of Christ. Now, we, we ought to take a little bit of time to talk about what the love of God is and what the steadfastness of Christ is, that that of God, of Christ, you could hear that a couple of different ways, and we want to make sure we understand that correctly. Pastor Kogel, how, would, how should we see that verse? Well, I would, I would say um, that we should understand this uh, just simply as it as it stands there, um, these are not to get like super technical for the listeners, but it's a genitive, which can be a whole bunch of different things. But I didn't see anything in in the Greek really, or in anything that I read on this, that they would indicate that it's anything other than a possessive genitive. That is, um, uh, in this case, uh, love belongs to God, right? Or that steadfastness belongs to Christ. So we want to hear that. So it's the same way. Uh, we do this sort of, um, but like take something like the armor of God that everybody's really familiar with. Um, that of is is possessive, right? So we're saying that it is God's armor, which then he gives to us as a gift, right? So in the, we want to then take that same, that same thing here, that it is God's love belongs to him and he gives it to us. He, he, um, in, in this case, directs that love uh, toward us. We are the object of his love. Um, and steadfastness, uh, uh, faithfulness, uh, uh, belongs to uh, Christ. Uh, and he does that for our sake. Uh, he, he, he lives faithfully or, or steadfastly. Um, or th- this is the word, it's one of these words that just has a, a ton of different uh, ways that you can take it, but um, it also uh, can be uh, translated either as endurance um, or patience, which really, really uh, ties in with what St. Paul has been doing in Thessalonians, right? That he's been talking about the the steadfastness or the patience um, of of the Thessalonians as they wait for that last day whenever it's going to show up and to live a holy Christian life in the meantime. And here he's directing us towards where where that where our own steadfastness is going to come from and where our own love towards one another is going to come from. And it comes from God and Christ uh in in their own work for us. Right? So how do those two things in particular, the love that God owns, that he does for us, the steadfastness, the patience, the endurance that Christ owns, that he does for us, how do those things tie up, in a sense, what Paul's done so far? And then I think these two are going to propel us forward into the discussion we'll have on the other side of the break, that that the love of God, the steadfastness of Christ, this is where... Paul's commands are going to come out in the following verses. How does this serve as sort of a transition here? Yeah, so 
St. Paul's going to start talking about how we interact with those who are around us and how we uh, are to look at especially the godly examples we have around us and the ungodly examples that we have around us and, and how we're supposed to interact with all of that. Um, and there can be a, a great temptation uh, to not act uh, either in love um, or in steadfastness towards those around us. So, so this is a nice kind of transition here. Uh, and I hadn't really thought of it like that until, until you mentioned it, but it's, it's right there uh, that our, our hearts are then directed um, to what God has done and continues to do. And we want to draw this back up, um, uh, the love and steadfastness. We want to draw this back up into um, the, the speeding ahead of the word of the Lord, right? That, um, it is the word of the Lord that brings God's love to us. Right, God's love, we know um, the, uh, all these great passages that uh, God shows his love for us in this way and that while we are still sinners, Christ dies for us. Right? These, these wonderful passages um, that, that Christ um, is, uh, is patient with us, that he's steadfast uh, in the faith um, for our sake. He, he keeps the, the law in its entirety. He loves God. Uh, fully, and he does that because he loves us and wants us to inherit eternity with him. Uh, and so, those things then are delivered to us through this word of the Lord that speeds forward into our lives uh, through the preaching of the gospel, through the administration of the sacraments, um, and that then informs how we then interact with everything, but especially the people. Uh, around us, uh, especially when they're living as they ought not to be living. And we'll see how that plays out in the second half of our text. When we come back from this break, you are listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. Looking at 2 Thessalonians 3, we'll take a short break and be right back. Please stick around. I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. You can help us continue to get that message out around the globe while there's still time. One way is to become a church or organization of the week. For a gift of just $595, your church will receive 35 30-second announcements during the week of your choice, identifying your church as well as upcoming events and happenings. And your pastor or a representative from your church, they may record those announcements or we can produce them ourselves either way. In addition, your pastor or representative will have the opportunity to be on one of KFUO's programs. It's a wonderful way to expand your mission outreach and to help KFUO Radio to do the same. For further information, call me, Mark, at 314-996-1520 or mark.hawkinson at kfuo.org. 
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. The next Law and Gospel broadcast is the final Open Mic Friday for 2019. It gives you an opportunity to phone me, Tom Baker, at 1-800-730-2727 and we'll love to talk to you. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Friday, December 20th. We're looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 with Pastor Sean Kilgo of the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we, we looked at those first five verses. Paul commands prayer for him, for his ministry, that the word of the Lord would speed ahead, be honored, that it would be taught truthfully that the people would live according to it. He has confidence that because these are petitions the Lord has given, they will indeed be answered as God's love, Christ's steadfastness propels them forward. And he, he then moves forward into more commands. And, and here he, it seems that he's dealing primarily with the matter of Christian living. In the ESV, it says warning against idleness. Perhaps words like laziness or sloth come to mind. And, and as we think about verses 6 and following and, and this matter of idleness, laziness, what is it that, that Paul's addressing here? What sort of idleness, what sort of laziness are we talking about? Yeah, so, so remember, in, in the scriptures, there are two forms of laziness um, or uh, idleness. One is a, a spiritual laziness. Um, this is um, really what the, uh, the idea of sloth, where this actually comes from is, is a spiritual laziness. This is um, like boredom with God and his word and his gifts. Uh, and, and this is going to be what, what St. John will, will write on in, in Revelation, uh, where Jesus is talking to the churches and he says, uh, were that you were either hot or cold, but you are lukewarm and I spit you from my mouth, right? You're kind of like, eh. I can take it or leave it. So, so that's the the first one, and uh, and it's an important thing. But it's not really what what Saint Paul seems to be pressing on here, and he seems to be pressing more on the on the second one that there's there's a physical uh, laziness that that also occurs. But I think one of the things we want to see, like like we've seen with the the other parts, um, like with the the wicked men, the, the wickedness is a product of unbelief that physical laziness, um, in, in, I think in this case, we should see that it is a product of a spiritual laziness as, as well, a spiritual apathy or, or boredom, uh, because it's not taking seriously uh, what God has said about uh, work and your vocation, right? And, and God has plenty of things uh, to say on this, on how we ought to uh, work and conduct ourselves in our, in our daily lives and in our vocations. Um, now, uh, what's interesting about here is this, 
this language of idleness is is unique uh, to Thessalonians. Uh, he he uses it in in our section. He uses it three times. He uses it in in First Thessalonians uh, once as well. Um, but it's uh, um, it's the word tasso, which is which is ordered or arranged. So uh, th- this is where we get the the language of um, uh, subordination um, uh, or submission. Uh, so so when Saint Paul says uh, to, to wives submit to your husbands, it's it's hupotasso. So it's to be ordered underneath, right? So so the Saint Paul is just talking about the ordering that God has for creation, and it's the same sort of thing here that there is an ordering to our daily lives. And this one is hupotas, or it's, it's tasso with what's called an alpha privative, which is this fancy word for having an A at the beginning of the, the Greek word. And that uh, switches its meaning to the opposite. So instead of being ordered, it's unordered. It's, um, it's unarranged. Um, uh, I, I forget some of the other ways that this gets gets translated um like in the king james i think that it does a a decent job translating this uh disorderly uh is is how the king james does this so so that's that's the idea here of of idleness is a disorderliness uh to the to the daily life right whether whether it's in regard specifically to the faith or not it's just your life is not ordered and arranged in the way that the Lord would have it. Uh, and, and so the St. Paul is warning uh, against that disorder, uh, so much so that he, he brings it up three times, uh, as well as another word that is kind of interesting. I, I like, I like the, the nuance of, of disorder, that you know the Lord has an order in this life. We've been talking about things like the Ten Commandments, and, and the Lord sets our lives in a certain order. He gives us authority. He gives us life. He gives us marriage. He gives us possessions. He gives us reputation. All this is is an order that God has given. And so the, the matter of being out of that order, well, that that's not good. And so I, I think that's a, a helpful, helpful thing to bring out here when we think about what idleness or laziness is, that it's it's not finding your, your place in the order that God has given you. I, I want to touch briefly again on this matter of the difference or the maybe not the difference, but the the interplay between spiritual laziness and the physical laziness that it seems that Paul would be talking about here. And you mentioned how the scriptures have plenty to say about God's commands about work. What about, Paul really hasn't done a whole lot of talking about the commands to work, at least in terms of his his teaching section of both First and Second Thessalonians, but he has done a lot of talking about the end and Christ's return. So, so what's mm-hmm. the, what's What's the connection there? What's the spiritual laziness towards Christ's return that might be leading toward the physical laziness that Paul's about to address here in Second Thessalonians three? Yeah, so I think this is one of these things that just kind of makes sense once you once you think through it a little bit. That if Christ's return is imminent, if He's showing up like tomorrow, what's the point in me going to work today? So what if I get fired, right? Who cares? Jesus is showing up tomorrow, and I'm not going to have a job anyway. Um, and that is um, that is a spiritual laziness or or apathy towards what the Lord has actually said about His return. Um, we go back, think about like when when Jesus uh, talks about this, 
um, in the many and various ways, but maybe we can just think about like the, uh, the, the parable of the, the wise and foolish virgins, right? The, the, the ones who are foolish are the ones who are lazy, right? They, they don't keep their, their lamps filled. And, and, and I think that understanding the oil there is, is that of, of faith uh, proceeding from God's word it is a, a really good way to, to take that. But you see that these are, um, they're lazy because they're not really concerned about um, keeping watch and be, being ready uh, for, for Christ's return. They're, they know that he's going to be showing up. That's why they're out there. Um, but they conduct themselves um, with, with an apathy towards it uh, that ends up resulting in them being locked out of the, the kingdom there. Um, and many of the parables end up doing this when, when Jesus uh, discusses the, the kingdom and being ready when he talks about um, uh, keeping watch uh, for, for the thief coming in the night. Um, or the, he does this where if, if you had known the day, you would be sitting there watching and being ready for it so that your house wouldn't be tilfered. Right. If you knew when the thief was going to show up, if you know that the thief's going to come at 1:35 a.m., you're going to be sitting in your living room uh, with your shotgun or something, right, waiting for the thief to show up so that you scare him off and you don't lose your property, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus' point there is to be watchful, to be always diligent and ready for this to return, and in our uh, physical lives, that means um, not only going and hearing God's word and trusting his promises there, but living uh, the lives and the vocations that he's given us to live, um, because those are directed and governed by God's word as well, and those are his gifts to us, and not only for our sake, but for our neighbor's sake. I, I, I like that. I want to I want to keep this in mind as as we continue through, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves either, so that I don't miss some of the the things that are here to to dig into the the matter of of not walking in idleness. Paul says, or, or walking in idleness is not walking in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now we've seen Paul use this word tradition just in the previous chapter. What's what's he talking about when he brings it up again here? Yeah. So. So I think the the tradition here is, and he's going to get into this a little bit, but um, the the St. Paul does this a a couple times where he'll talk about how even though he has the right as an apostle to to be paid for what he's doing as an apostle for the the congregations that he's going to uh, to support him, uh, he continues to work, and he, he does this, not only to uh, not produce a burden upon the congregations, but also to show an example in his own life of how to live in the vocations that you've been given. And so um, uh, he continues to uh, work in his vocation that the Lord has given him in addition to uh, acting as an apostle and and preaching the, the gospel. And he makes his living then by this, but he says, this isn't the, the norm for for pastors. I'm I'm giving you the the example um, of how to work, how to uh, how to live in the the calling that God has has given to you. Um, 
and so he's he's telling us to here follow that tradition that that example um and so it's a little bit different aspect of tradition i think as i was thinking about this i I think that we can see that there there are um there are three maybe aspects of tradition uh, in the scriptures we had the the one um that that the guest yesterday was was talking about uh that uh uh, tradition and God's word are are bound up to each other, and so when he's talking about the passing on of the tradition, he's talking very specifically about the passing on of God's word uh, from generation to generation. Uh, here, I think we'd see that, that the tradition is uh, how you live your life, um, and that being passed along. And then we see elsewhere um, of the tradition uh, being tied to what we would normally think when we think tradition, and and that is the the, the conduct of the the church's life, right? So I think that we should hear a tradition and actually hear all of these things uh, together and not see them as being disjointed from one another, that the church's life and our own Christian lives are going to be uh, informed and bound to the tradition of God's Word itself, right? And it has to be. It always has to be bound to that. And I, I do appreciate you bringing out the tradition of God's word, because this is not a man-made tradition that Paul's talking about, right? I mean, Jesus talks right. about the traditions of men, and, and those are a negative thing. Here, the way Paul uses tradition, he's connecting it with what God has given in the preaching of the apostles, in the, in the word of God that's already written in the Old Testament, in the word that's starting to be written now in the New Testament. This is the tradition that he's talking about. And, and all-encompassing, I, I, I appreciate how you, how you bring that out. And, and that's the tradition that we're talking about. So we don't need to be afraid of this tradition as if it's somehow a, a bad thing. Because I, I know that, that sometimes that, that word can cause some angst among some, and, and there's no need for that angst here. And, and I, I want to I keep pushing forward because I, I want to make sure we get to, to all the text here, Pastor Kogo. So Paul says, you ought to imitate us. And I think you, you may have brought this out a little bit already, but we've seen Paul do this. And again, this is one of those things that maybe causes us a bit of angst that, well, gosh, how— how can we imitate Paul? Isn't isn't he just some dude? I mean, <laughs> right? I can't believe I called Saint yeah. Paul just some dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, in one sense, he is right. I mean, this is the really marvelous thing. Is um, you remember uh, when Saint when, when Jesus uh, is talking about uh, Saint John the Baptist, but he says uh, among those born of women, there is nobody greater than Saint John the Baptist, right? And yet. Um, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And we should remember that the kingdom of God is not just, um, you know, that thing out in the future when, when Christ returns, but the kingdom of God exists here and now where God's word is preached, right? And so uh, Christians are currently living in God's kingdom uh, through through the preaching of the church and the, the distribution of the sacraments. And so the, the, the least Christian in the church, according to Jesus, is greater even than St. John the Baptist. And so I think we, we can think about, in, in it's still a respectful way, we should, should hold the apostles and these guys in, in high regard for the offices that, that God has given them. But according to their humanity, right, we, we can think of them as just some dude, right? And I, I think that's fine. I think that's probably good for us because it helps to guard us against um, like hero worship, right? Um, and this is actually St. Paul's point when he'll talk about his own life. He'll talk about the uh, the things that he's done, and he he sets himself as the lowest of the apostles, 
right? One is untimely born, right? Um, and, uh, and, and this is good for us to remember, but that not just St. Paul, certainly St. Paul, but, but all of the saints uh, of the scriptures, all the godly examples we have there are, are there in part to serve as an example uh, for us. Um, St. Paul does this with himself in a number of places. Uh, this is one. Uh, Philippians 3 is, is another one that, that's uh, very, very similar to, to this passage. Um, it's uh, three seventeen through 19. St. Paul writes, uh, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You can hear a great reflection of what he's talking about here, the, the evil ones and, and not walking uh, as they would walk, um, but the walking and, uh, according to the way St. Paul is setting an example. But, but the scriptures also do this generally. So, so the author of the Hebrews says uh, to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Um, he says this again, uh, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. He's saying uh, the outcome of their way of life is that they remain steadfast, right? And so look at those leaders, those pastors who appreciate you, the word of God, and, and imitate them. So even now, um, having those good and godly examples is, is good. And then St. John, in his, in his third epistle, just does this very generically. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Um, he's just saying, look around you, look at those who serve as godly examples and imitate them, right? Mm -hmm. And we do this naturally in other areas. When in business, we look at those who are successful in business and we imitate their practices, right? If we want to be successful in business. Um, and I don't think we want to use the word success when it comes to the faith, but for lack of a better word, uh, if we want to be successful in the faith, if we want to live holy Christian lives, uh, we ought to imitate those who we see doing that and follow their example. Um, and St. Paul is certainly going to be uh, chief among those. Hmm. So the, the example that Paul puts forward for them to imitate in this case is the matter of his his physical labor, it seems, right? I mean, we've been talking about idleness right. and, and the laziness and the, the disorderliness. And so now Paul's going to put himself forth as that that positive example to follow and you get that, that very memorable verse in verse 10 that, that Paul gave this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Whenever we get to that verse, and we, we talk about that verse in the seventh commandment here in our youth confirmation class, and the, the parents who are sitting there with their children are always very happy that that verse is in the Bible, <laughs> that they can tell their children that, right? But I think, I think and this is where I want to kind of tie some of these things together, and I think you've mentioned vocation already, and that maybe we can talk more about that too, but the matter of of spiritual laziness, connecting to physical laziness, and, and the way that the, the tradition that Paul has given them is more than just, it, it includes the Word of God and that, that all-encompassing teaching and living according to it, that makes these words from St. Paul more than just get up off the couch and get a job kind of thing. Right? There, there's more going on to that than that, I think, Pastor Kilgo. What, what, do, you, what do you think? Yeah, so, uh, so his point is, um, that your your faith is going to produce this manner of living, um, but but part of our living in this fallen flesh in this fallen world is that 
we always have to be exhorted towards those things. I mean, it would be great if we never had to exhort anybody to godly living, right? And if that was the case, then we would be missing about two-thirds of all of St. Paul's epistles, right? Because, I mean, about two-thirds of them are exhortations to godly living. So um, it would be nice if we didn't have to do that, but because of our flesh, I mean, we, we need this um, to constantly hold this up and say, now, no, don't, don't do that. Remember that you're a Christian. Remember uh, uh, Christ's uh, death for you and his blood covers your sins and, and to walk in a manner uh, uh, pleasing to him. Um, and that matter in this case, you know, is not being, being lazy in your work, but, but going about it diligently. We, we should probably hear, uh, hear what he says, like in, in Colossians, um, uh, that we don't work um, for, as for men, but we work as for God. So, so even though our physical boss might be uh, would be a, a, a man, um, uh, our ultimate boss, so to speak, is the Lord, because he, in fact, has put not only us, but our boss into those positions, right? He, uh, this is part of his um, uh, provision for creation itself, to make sure that everything is, is functioning, is ordered, uh, to come back to that, that word. Uh, and this is a, just our vocation, and it, which is a, a great gift to us. Um, that our vocation is, uh, we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but, but to hit it again, our, our vocations are not only for our own livelihood and taking care of our families, but it is also for the livelihood of our neighbors around us and for the general functioning of society. Uh, so our vocations are given especially for the good of our neighbor, right? And we want to remember that that here, as uh, as, as Saint Paul is is talking about this, and and come again back to Jesus is coming at an hour that you don't know. So so don't worry about that, and don't live as if he's coming back in five seconds. But but live as if your neighbor needs you needs you to work, and you will then from that you'll make a living. You will have bread to eat. Uh, from doing that work. Hmm. Pastor Kelly, we got four minutes left here on the morning, and I know we've, we've still got some plenty of things that, that we can talk about. Help us bring out any more points that you, you really find important and, and wrap things up for us today. Yeah, maybe, maybe just this one note on, on busybodies, because this is a word that shows up a couple times, and we just need to hear the, the play on words that St. Paul is doing. He says, uh, and the ESV actually does this nicely, not busy at work, but busybodies. Um, the, the, the word... Uh, uh, busy here is going to be um, uh, ergazomenos, uh, uh, being being busy at work. And being a busy body, he just throws the prefix peri on there. So it's being uh, near work, but not actually doing it. Uh, and so it's the ones who kind of kind of get in the way of everything because they're not actually working themselves. Um, and we could think maybe here, uh, you know, um, idle hands or the devil's work. If we want to hear hear kind of that old old phrase, um, which I mean, according to what Saint Paul's talking about here, is is true. But to, to draw it back to what we talked about at the beginning, to remember prayer and all this that that we pray when we pray for our daily bread, we're praying for our vocation, and we're praying for the vocation of our neighbors. Um, and when when we combine this with everything else, we, we see that we've got um, really the whole Lord's prayer being unfolded here in a, in a really nice way, um, that, that we're praying for all of God's gifts to us, 
spiritually and all of God's gifts to us physically, uh, that they would be put to use not only in our own lives, but in, in the lives of our neighbors. Um, as we do look forward to the day in which Christ returns to raise all flesh, but in the meantime, uh, not neglecting the good of our, of our neighbors and of our own lives uh, so, so that we would live godly lives so that the gospel would, would speed forward and would be honored in, in the manner in which we conduct ourselves. And, and as God says elsewhere, that, um, that people looking at our lives would then glorify God on account of that. Pastor Sean Kilgo is the pastor at the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership, helping us this morning with 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Pastor Kilgo, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thanks. Finally, brothers, Paul begins to wrap up this epistle to the Thessalonian Christians. He commands them to pray. How important is that? That we would pray, that God's word would go forth, that it would be taught truly, that we as Christians would lead holy lives according to it, and that the devil's work would be brought to nothing. This is what our prayers do. They drive back the devil and his work, and we are confident that the Lord will hear and answer these prayers according to his promise because he is the one who loves us. He is the one who has been steadfast towards us in the work that his son, Jesus Christ, has done. And seeing that love that God has for us and that steadfastness that Christ has shown to us, that pushes us forward into the world, not to live in idleness as if Christ has already come in some sort of secret way or as if he's not given us a neighbor to love. No, it pushes us forth into this world to love those neighbors that God has placed in our lives in the various vocations he has given us. Mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, children, workers, employers. In these places, not being idle, not being busy bodies, but rather being about the work that he has given the love of neighbor that he orders according to his Ten Commandments. That is what our Lord Jesus Christ has given us to do this work quietly, and through that work he provides the daily bread that he has promised in the Lord's Prayer. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week. 